Well, we've been working our way through Genesis, and we have been looking most recently at the life of Jacob. All right? Um, and, and, and Jacob, if you'll remember, was the grandson of Abraham. Isaac was his father. And Jacob was in this place in his life right here. We see kind of a big shift in his life. Jacob was torn. He knew that God had spoken some powerful things to him, and he knew that one day he would be the one who would return to the land of Canaan um, and receive all of the promises that God had promised to his grandfather Abraham and to his father Isaac. He was the son of the covenant. He was to be the one that the, the, the promised land, Canaan, was to be given to. He was the one, if you remember that covenant promise, it was two parts. There was a place, the land of Canaan, and a people. He knew that there was going to be a great nation that grew out of this one family. That's what God had told them. And so, uh, if you have been up to speed with us where we're at in the story, Jacob right now, he's not in Canaan. After ripping off his family and breaking all sorts of relationships with the family, they basically kicked him out and said, go get a wife out there in the east somewhere. And so for the past 20 years, he's been gone, exiled from the family, way out there. And now he knows it's time to get back. It's time for me to return to the promised land. I know this is what God's already spoken. I know this is where I'm supposed to be. But he didn't know how to get there. He was ready to leave but he'd been partnered with his father-in-law, Laban, for 20 years now. His wives and his children had never known anything different. His work, his friends, his family were all here in Haran. And Jacob was stuck. God calls his people to freedom. All right, He calls his people to freedom. But we get entangled in all sorts of things in life. We get hooked into things and caught in things. We don't experience the freedom that we're designed for. Instead, we, come, we, we can become trapped. In fact, sometimes we even become enslaved to things of this earth. Things get a hold on us that we can't break free from. And this part of Jacob's story is going to help us learn some ways to break free from things, places, and people that hold us captive. All right? So if any of you are feeling like today, I could use some more freedom in my life. Anybody maybe out here or feeling that way? Um, that's what we've got here today. I've entitled the message this morning, Breaking Free. So let's start by looking at the, the starting in verse 25 here in Genesis chapter 30, verse 25. Here's what it says. It says, as soon as Rachel, that's, remember, one of Jacob's wives, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away, that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. All right, so you see what's happening here? Jacob's like, all right, it's time to go. I need to go. I'm going to go talk to Laban face-to-face, and I'm going to say, Laban, it's time for me to go. This has always been part of the plan. You've known it's part of the plan. It's time for me to go. But Laban says, ah, but hold on. I know that the reason I'm blessed and the reason that things have been going so well with me for these 20 years is because of you. I know that. So you just name your wages. 
and I'll, and I'll give it to you. you. You name whatever it will take. Because Jacob or Laban didn't want Jacob to leave. And greedy Laban here didn't want things to change, so he starts to negotiate. And here's what we see here in verse 29. So in verse 29, Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly, and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? And he said, this is Laban, because this is the way Laban is, well, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. And Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. But that day, Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in the charge of his sons. And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. All right, we have our first swindler of the morning. <laughs> If nothing else, Laban was persistent and conniving. I mean, ever since we met Laban way back when, this is the guy. This is who he's been. So uh, he's consistent also, I guess. And he wouldn't take no for an answer. Jacob comes and says, it's time for me to go. And Laban says, no, 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 you can't. Really, I'll do whatever you need. You just ask it and I'll make it happen. And he keeps pushing Jacob on this. And finally, Jacob's like, okay, fine. If that's the way it's got to be, this is what I want. And he begins to lay it out there for Laban. Now, the agreement is a little difficult for us to understand, um, at least for those of us who haven't spent a lot of time breeding livestock. I mean, if I was at a church in Wyoming or something, uh, people would have this down. You know, but for the most of us, city people, we're like, whatever. And it's speckled, spotted, meckled, mottled. I don't know all what's going on, right? This wasn't a permanent agreement to stay with Laban. So when Jacob says, all right, I'm going to do this for you, he wasn't saying I'm going to stay here forever. It was an agreement to stick around for another season, another pasturing season, another season where the sheep would grow the wool and then they'd shear the wool and they'd, you know, all of that whole process that was happening. Jacob said that he would take the animals that were naturally identified by their markings, speckled, spotted, and black sheep, Sheep were usually solid white, um, and speckled or spotted goats, which were usually solid brown or solid black. Here's a picture for you of some sheep. You might be able to see it on this screen. We'll see. You see them? See them right there? They're, they're all over? Okay. <laughs> Sorry, you can barely see it here. Um, if you can't tell, all of these sheep are white, except for one, right? There's a black sheep in the middle here. There you go. You see it a little bit better. This is typical, okay? If you've ever wondered where that whole phrase comes from, the black sheep of the family, it's right here. It's there's one sheep that's just not like all the others. <laughs> it's kind of doing his own thing, right? 
This is, this is normal. All right, that's the way it is. With the goats, let's go to the next picture here. Same thing. Most goats are all black or all brown. But you see here to the left, there's one with a little bit of white fur. He's either very old or he's one of the speckled ones. All right? So this is the way that things usually were. So the ones that Jacob's asking for here, Jacob's asking for the rare ones. of the. He's not asking for a lot of animals. He's not saying, okay, Laban, split everything with me 50-50 and I'll st- stick around. He's not. He's saying, you give me just those few little animals that are part of your herd, that are, that are out of the ordinary, and I'll do it for that. But Laban, the swindler, wasn't even willing to give him that. So what does he do? He makes the deal with Jacob and then immediately sends his sons out to the flocks and says, make sure you get all of them out of there. So that then when Jacob shows up, that's not even going to be there for him. Nothing. Laban was a shady guy doing shady things. Now let's keep reading here. Verse 37. It says, Then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees. That's a type of tree, a plane tree, if you didn't know that. And he peeled white streaks in them, exposing the white of the sticks. And he set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs, that is the watering places, where the flocks came to drink. And since they breed when they came, bred when they came to, to drink, the flocks bred in front of the sticks, and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the stronger of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock, he would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Now, here's what you've got to understand. More flocks equals more money. Right? That's how you end up going from, okay, you've got a goat in a feeding trough to ending up getting a camel. All right? It's because what's happened is the more um, milk production that you have, the more wool that you have, the more meat that you have, the more you can sell it and buy other things with it. All right? So bigger flocks, uh, bigger money. And as Jacob's flocks grew, so did his wealth. And he did so with this stick method that we see here. All right? Now, this is one of the passages of, Bible, of the Bible where skeptics of the Bible will point and say, you know, this is obviously a book of mythology and superstition. Because look at this. Uh, putting a stick in front of a sheep is not going to change the, the output, the offspring of this sheep. Um, well, to that, I would respond in two ways. Yes, we do believe in supernatural things that are found in the Bible. And I understand how you think that Christians are crazy people. We believe a dead person was raised from the dead. Yes, there's some pretty radical things we believe. Yes. But this is not one of those places that is actually mythological and superstitious. All right? Putting sticks in front of the animals had nothing to do with it. Modern agricultural science has discovered that introducing certain nutrients... To livestock's diet can impact the genetic switches that are turned on or off in the animal's offspring. All right? For example, scientists can change the fur color from the dominant to the recessive color in certain mice simply by changing the mother's diet. 
for those of you geeks who really want to study this, look up um, epigenetics of agouti mice, A-G-O-U-T-I, agouti mice, yellow and brown fur. Um, they can literally, just by changing whatever the, the, the mom eats, they can decide if the, the offspring will have yellow fur or brown fur. And it's just because it's flipping a genetic switch b- because of the nutri- nutrition that they're getting. So it seems that Jacob did the same thing here. All right? These particular sticks, poplar, almond, and plain, all have natural properties within them that would supplement the diets of his chosen animals. Poplar cuttings contain a chemical called salicin, which has been shown to increase conception rates and multiple births in sheep. Almond has been used as an herbal remedy for many things. Plain trees are known to have anti-inflammatory properties and other benefits. And many of these natural nutrients are best extracted by soaking the woods in water. What he's doing here, he's basically he's juicing his flock. <laughs> he's, he's pouring in these additional nutri- nutrients into their diet, and it's impacting the output of these flocks. Now, whether God gave Jacob this know-how, or, uh, you know, naturally, maybe this was something that, I mean, he came from a family that had been, uh, you know, traveling around in tents with livestock for generations at this point. Maybe that had just been passed on. Oh, you want them to, to, to multiply? This is what you feed them. Uh, maybe that's what it was. Maybe God spoke to him supernaturally. We don't know. But we do know is that the idea comes from God. We're going to see that in chapter 31. But these changes that he made impacted the flock. So this time, Jacob out-schemes Laban, the swindlers swindling the swindler. You know, Schemers are scheming. That's what they do. All right, so then we move into chapter 31, and here's what it says. So this has all happened. Um, Jacob is now increasing in wealth. And in chapter 31, verse 1, now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. Hmm, Kind of true. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, always pay attention when the Lord says something, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. This is how Jacob had the idea of, okay, well, this is what I need to ask for. And he goes on and he says in verse 13, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now, arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. 
Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us. He sure did. And he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So this might be the only time that Leah and Rachel actually agree on something. If you remember some of the the issues that we've had in the past with them, or that they had in the past. But they did here. And Jacob might have had an interest to leave earlier, but now it was clear because God told him it was time to go. The beginning of this story, we see Jacob saying, I think it's time to leave. But he couldn't get away. But now it's different because God has told him it was time to go. Uh, in, my, in my own life, many years ago now, I was serving in a, a pastoral role at another church. And the church was going through an extremely difficult period of time. Um, and by extension, Ivan was going through an extremely difficult period of time. And I knew clearly that I wanted to leave. I knew it. But I didn't see a way out. I didn't see a, 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 an as, a aspect, an avenue that I could get out from. Not only that, God had not told me that he hadn't given me the okay to go. And as followers of God, we need that first. That's what we have to do if we really want to follow after God. We have to let him lead. We have to follow him. We don't go and do something and then ask him to bless our plans. We have to follow him. And then time went on, and things actually got worse, way worse. (laughs) It's not that it got better, it got worse. But God always knows what he's doing. I will never know, trust me, I've thought about it a lot. I will never know why I needed to be there as long as I was. And maybe it wasn't even for me. And even though I, in my own flesh, I just want to regret those years and just wish they never happened, I have to trust that God was shaping me in the process and had a purpose in his timing. That's what we have to believe. Now, maybe things had to deteriorate with Laban so that Rachel and Leah were ready to leave and not look back. I mean, let's face it. They have never known anything else. They've lived here in this land with this family forever. And to be able to break them out of that, to be able to say, all right, I'm ready to pick up and move across the world. Maybe that's what was, was happening. I don't know. Maybe the family needed to get to a financial place where they could survive the journey back to Canaan. We don't know. But if we let God lead, we can trust that he will lead us where we need to go. But that's a hard practice. It's one thing to say, all right, I believe that. But it's sometimes different when you're actually having to do it. Now, let's pick up again in verse 17. So here's what they decide. So Rachel and Leah have given him the okay. God has told him, you need to do this. So in verse 17, So Jacob arose, set his sons and his wives on camels, and he drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padan Aram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone out to shear his sheep. Right, that's one of the processes in shepherding. And Rachel stole her father's household gods. Weird, I know, but that's what she did. 
And verse 20, and Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. And he fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates, that's the river, and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. And when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and, not, and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre? Speaking of lyre. <laughs> and why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my gods, these little idols that, that Rachel had taken? And Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid. For I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, Let my Lord not be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may, be, may decide between us two. These 20 years I've been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried and I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me and the cold by night and my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I've been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you have changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have borne? 
Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sahadutha, but Jacob called it Galid. That's just um, one's in Aramaic and one's in Hebrew. It's for the same thing. It means heap of witness. And Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore, he named it Galid. And Mitzpah, for he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we're out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, or if you take wives besides my daughters, although no one else is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap and, this, and the pillar which I have set between you and me? This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you, and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. Well, this relationship between Jacob and Laban, these two swindlers, this relationship was bound to end poorly, and it did. Laban and Jacob were both deceitful. They were both conniving people, and neither of them had any issue with ripping off the other one. There had been manipulation and trickery and lies and deception from the very beginning. And Jacob was right. If God had not intervened here, Laban would have sent Jacob away empty-handed. He would have said, I don't care if you're my son-in-law or whatever. Get out of here. Take your stuff. Go. And the daughters and the grandchildren, they're mine. He would have taken all that Jacob had rightfully earned and left him the way that he had found him, broke and with nowhere to call home. But God didn't allow it. God had a plan of his own for Jacob and Jacob's descendants. It was back to that covenant promise that God had made. So there's two things I think that we see here as we... we um, kind of process this passage. First off, God was building faith. God was building faith into this really faithless family. Jacob believed in God, but he didn't seem to have much of a righteous character at all. Even at this point in his life, Jacob still seems to be just kind of the same shady character he had always been. Leah and Rachel, as we saw a couple chapters ago, they, they sometimes referred to God Oh yeah, God does this, God does that. But, but we don't really see any real evidence of faith in them, just some practicality. Rachel, at least, seems to be as deceptive as her dad and her husband by stealing the idols and then lying about it. That's all we see happening in this family. And not only that, we're going to see future generations of family dysfunction that this family is going to pass on down. But God was still at work. And he showed them that he was involved by speaking to Laban, of all people. Isn't that interesting? He had intervened on their behalf. And one of the things that happens when we see God's hand, it builds our faith. 
It does. It builds our faith. When we see God move and we know that's God, I can't put it on anything else. For Laban to come up here and all of a sudden back down, those daughters are like, that's not like my dad. Something happened here. And then Laban says, God's the one who appeared to me. God spoke to me and told me I can't do anything about this. That's a, that's a big thing. And it built, it started building faith in this family. The second thing um, that I told you from the beginning that we're talking about is the second thing was that God was bringing freedom to this family. God was bringing freedom. It didn't seem like freedom because it required the loss of some really significant relationships and also a relocation of their home. They'd have to leave their, their comfortable spot behind to go where God wanted them to go. But he was bringing freedom to them. Still, though, both of those changes would have hurt. Even if they didn't like Laban, he was still their dad. He was still the one that they'd been with all this time. And, and that would have hurt. And leaving their home behind, that would have hurt. Here's something important to know about freedom, guys. The path to freedom is not always painless or easy. We want it to be, but it's not. God sometimes requires us to do hard things. And the freedom that he's bringing to this family was more than just freedom, freedom from a controlling and manipulative person. It was different. And that's what I want us to think most about here as we, as we process this. What kind of freedom does God bring? What freedom does God have for us as people? Because there are all sorts of traps and prisons in life. Okay? And they come in different shapes and forms. Several of you have known the grip of drugs or alcohol on your lives. I won't ask for a show of hands and testimony time. But many of you have known what that is to be underneath that. Where that's holding you. Some of you have known what it is to be in an abusive relationship that you can't seem to get out of. Others have broken laws and ended up in literal prison. As I shared, I was trapped in a horrible job and a financial situation that I couldn't get out of. All these things trap us in this life. There are also internal places where we can get stuck. We can find ourselves enslaved by our sins. Lies that have piled up over time. And you're like, how do I get out of this mess? <laughs> I've dug this hole, but I can't. What do I do? I'm trapped by them. Um, uh, we, can, we can deal with fears and anxieties that can control us. Disordered desires for food or sex or money. Even good or necessary things in life can become traps. There are all sorts of traps in this life. But God wants to set captives free. God wants freedom for us. Our God is the God of freedom. Now, when we hear the word freedom, you might immediately think of civil rights or political freedoms that are enjoyed in our country. But the freedom I want us to really think about here today is the freedom that God calls all people to. No matter what country you live in, no matter what background you're from, no matter what language you speak, if you're a human being, God calls you to freedom from sin and its effects. He's called to bring freedom to all people from sin and its effects. His definition is different than ours. 
Because as people, we sometimes label freedom as things which actually serve to enslave us. All right? This is, this is what I mean by that. For example, uh, let's, let's just say um, that you claim that you have the freedom to have a diet that is purely 100% ice cream. I like to bring up ice cream. You, and you have decided, I am free to eat ice cream every meal for the rest of my life. All I will eat is ice cream. There's lots of types of ice cream. So I can eat different ice creams. I can eat sorbets and uh, sherbets and all these different things. I can just eat ice cream. And you know what? I can get ice cream almost anywhere I go. Most restaurants have some ice cream. I can get them from grocery stores. There's, there's all different types. So I'm going to do it. And I'm free. I'm, I'm free to have this ice cream diet. And you might be free to eat it days on end, weeks on end, months on end, for years. But that so-called freedom that you've given yourself is going to deeply affect your health over time. It just is. It's going to. In fact, your freedom will kill you if you don't break free from it. Doesn't it say somewhere, man shall not live on ice cream alone? No, it's not, it's not quite that. But this is what the Bible does say. In 1 Corinthians 6.12, it says, all things are lawful for me. That means I have the freedom to do all things. They're all lawful. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. That word dominated is trapped. I will not be enslaved by these things. I will not be held captive by all these other things. Even things that could be fine like ice cream. But if you're held captive to it, you're not enjoying the freedom that you're called to. And the freedom that God gives us isn't a freedom from all rules and responsibilities or a freedom to just indulge in anything that we desire. It's a freedom to live as we were created to live. Here's the thing. If sin is ruling in your life, you are not free. If sin rules you, you're not free. No matter what you think, you're not free. Because you're a slave to that sin. This is exactly how Jesus described it. In John 8, 31, he says, there were some Jews that had come to believe in him. These are believers now, all right? And he said to them, he said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, well, we're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. Egypt, anybody? We won't talk about that right now, but all right. right, You say you're not slaved. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's the kind of freedom we want. True freedom from it. That's the first taste of true freedom. Jesus came to break the power of sin in our lives. And one of the criticisms that he received was that he wasn't politically what the Jews expected the Messiah to be. He didn't establish them as a nation. uh, The Romans kept control after Jesus was crucified. Slaves still served their masters. 
But he came to set people free from sin. And that's what he did. Because here's the thing that happens. This is why I say this is what real freedom is. Because when we're free from sin, our lives can now start being transformed by God. That's where the transformation happens. Freedom from sin transforms our lives. It might not immediately change your life circumstances. You might still be stuck in a bad job. You might still struggle with drinking or still can't figure out how to get your finances in order. But when the weight of sins is removed, life is different. And that's where freedom begins. And once that happens, now freedom begins to spill out of our hearts into the other places of our lives. Well, what does that actually look like? What does it look like to start walking in freedom, living like freedom? Peter describes it this way, 1 Peter 2.16. He said, live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. It's not just an excuse so that you can go soak yourself in some other sin. But living as servants of God. And you might say, but hold on. A, a servant isn't a free person. That's somebody who works for someone else. Yes, that's, that's right. The freedom that God gives us is a freedom from and a freedom to. We're given freedom from our sins and death and given freedom to experience his life and his love. We think that the greatest freedom that we could ever have will be to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. But it's not true. It's not true. We'd simply then be slaves to the desires of our flesh, which isn't freedom at all. True freedom and a fullness of life is found in relationship with the author of life. This was the freedom that God was leading Jacob and his family toward. This was the path that God was leading them down, a path toward knowing God. But there were things that they had to leave behind in order to start down that path. God does the same things with us. There are often things that we have to leave behind as well if we want to go on the journey that God has for us in this life. All of us have obstacles slowing our growth. And your question for you this morning is, will you leave those things behind or not? For some of you, you've been dragging them behind you for a really long time. And it's just slowing you down in so many ways. Jesus already took the first step for us. He broke the power of sin. You are invited now to follow him in obedience. It's sad to me, and I've done this myself. So I'm not saying you people. I'm saying we people. It's sad to me that we as Christians so often drag our sins around with us. And we stick ourselves in these situations. And we're struggling with sin and we wrestle with sin and we're dealing with sin. And we think sin has power over us. It doesn't. It's been broken. But we're still dipping ourselves into it. We can leave it behind. We need to leave it behind. Who do you really think knows what's best for your life? You or God? Do your actions, though, reflect that? I mean, I would answer that 10 out of 10 times if you ask me, who knows your life better, Brett, you or God? God, God, God. Are you living that way? Ooh, sometimes. Are you taking measures to finally get free from your old life that was controlled by sin? What needs to be left behind in your life? So 
I believe that God wants to bring freedom into lives here today. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. What did I pray at the very beginning of our service today? I prayed, Lord, be with us. Let your Spirit be here among us. Speak to us. Be here. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And I've prayed this week that the Spirit of God would be here with us this morning, bringing freedom to all that would receive it. Whatever that is, if that's breaking free from sin, if that's breaking free from circumstances or relationships that you need to work through. And so as we respond this morning, as we finish, I think there are two directions for people to go in this room this morning. You might hear this message and just be full of rejoicing. You're like, yeah, I totally, I've seen this in my life. God broke free, he brought freedom to my life. He broke the power of all the sin in my life. Um, And if that's you, spend the next 10 minutes and truly celebrating what God's done in your life. Thank him for those things. Rejoice in that. Let it out because that's going to encourage other people that are realizing, oh, there are some other people that actually got free from their sin. Or you might be the other side of this. You might recognize, ooh, I'm trapped. I'm the one who's stuck. I'm the one who's in this place. And what you need to do for these next few minutes is to spend a a few minutes just crying out to God for freedom, asking him to break the power of sin in your life. And this is the time for that as well. If you don't know what to pray or you want someone else to pray for you, I'm I'm gonna ask uh, Jeff, will you go back there and you pray? Uh, Jeff will be in the back willing to pray with anybody who'd like to come back there and pray and ask for freedom. Come to Jesus and allow him to set you free. Because that's what God has for each and every one of us. Amen? Pray with me.